1: Welcome to episode two of, I guess this is an emergency season of sorts, of Overlooked and Undercooked because very important materials has been released from Rob Schneider that myself, Tim Batt, and my esteemed colleague Guy Montgomery must examine once a day for seven days. It is this new comedy special at a runtime of, hmm, arguably 39 minutes. What is it called again? Mexican a- Mama Asian Kids? Have you
0: not listened to anything this man has been saying? Asian mama, Mexican kids. But I think the subtext and the subtitle is, I'm awesome and all women are crazy.
1: Yeah. Guy, I I don't know what I have to give to you today. We were talking on the chat Um The way that we're doing this is we're doing little watch parties, so we watch simultaneously and uh, we chat to each other online as we're watching in real time. And I I, I, I don't like to be so negative. I don't like to be so critical about someone's work, I guess, in a way. But this special and the prospect of watching it like once at all and then more than once has just... Fucked me up. Yeah, man,
0: you've got a real scary energy. Uh less so when we're actually on, you know, the record, but all of my communique with you around facilitating this. Um, you're openly and I would say possibly understandably hostile towards me. If I have to put something off by five minutes, I do so with great trepidation. I am uh Feel like I'm somewhat on eggshells around you
1: what what I had said to you in the chat was that um I'm very angry at you, and I know that that's not fair to you, but I also know that that's probably not going to change
0: yeah, and i that's okay like do you think is there anything to be gleaned or gained from this exercise? Is it making you think about comedy, your own comedy,
1: jokes, society well, at large? Okay. I just shook my head <laughs> the entire time you were saying that. and But now I've actually, I think I do have something. The big takeaway f- for this special for me is just, ha- it, and we've kind of like, we talked about this, I think, on the chat yesterday, but the importance of confidence on stage, just mm, the, mm. how much that can carry. Just getting out there with a swagger and pretending like what you have to say is good and funny and a joke. Even when it isn't, it is very, it's like magic to a crowd. You just trick them wholesale. It's like hypnotism. You just go out there and you're like, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff with the cadence of jokes that are really, like, good. And, uh, and you guys are going to laugh. Yeah. And it's this bizarre contract that you have with the audience where they're sitting there. It's very weird being an audience in a comedy show. It's quite a, like, it's a big job. And I think that doesn't get talked about enough. It's actually quite a big role to be well, an audience member. Yeah, in a but I'd show. say
0: the bigger the audience, the smaller each independent audience member's job is. Like if you're in an audience yeah, of totally. 10, you are sharing a tremendous workload. But if you're in an audience of 500, you've got yeah. a low a low level of commitment.
1: Very true, but it's different to seeing a movie for example where you do not have to uh sort of output any of your energy responding to the thing that is being shown to you at all. You just kind of quietly absorb it all. Um or even like a band, because like a band does they want a reaction from you, obviously, but I think music's a lot easier to get on board with, which might be why Rob Cramps so much into a special. Um but like the band, kind of has something to do where even if they sort of quote unquote bomb and that the audience don't get on board, they can still kind of deliver the same show. But that doesn't really happen with with comedy. No, well because the, it's, it's just there's a,
0: there's a agreed upon desired outcome. Like everyone is entering this contract, and they understand that there's one very clear purpose, and I. Uh, yeah like there's no that, that i think in, in music people can go to a concert for different reasons musically but if an audience of people at a comedy show are largely there to laugh and i i think i remember uh this is more unique to new zealand but while we're talking about the the idea of it like it this doesn't really happen in america in america i feel like they're excited that you're on stage and they believe that there's a reason you're on stage like American exceptionalism makes them very confident audiences. They believe in the process. They believe in the performer until proven otherwise. Whereas in New Zealand, there is immediate doubt anyone who would be arrogant enough, as sort of the collective read, to think that their ideas are funny enough to share and say aloud into a microphone. Even though the same people who are carrying this energy have paid for tickets to watch the show, In America, it's like, here you are. God, I hope you're funny. And in New Zealand, it's like, yeah, here you are. You better be fucking funny.
1: And like. (laughs) I I was just going to say, I saw a similar observation on Twitter, and I I am kicking myself that I can't remember who made it, but the difference between male and female audiences. I don't know if Rose. It was Rose, because. Retweeted this. Was it she? No, did she make that observation? She
0: made the observation. We did a show on our tour in uh, Rotorua, and it was um, fucking fire. And it would have been like. 70 percent women who were all, more or less all there to see rose and i was just a, yeah. a, a very happy benefactor um yeah but then she was talking about it to me in the car afterwards and like she, there's this there's this alchemy the turning point seems to be 51 percent non-men
1: yeah um but I, I just remember... In- but hold on, say the observation, because the observation was the key thing, is that men go to a comedy show with an attitude of what you said, like, you better be fucking funny, and women go to a comedy show to have a good time. Mm. And I'm I'm mangling the wording a bit, she put it more precisely, but, like, that kind of... That- it, it's so fucking true. Women, are... It, it, very well, broadly it, speaking, obviously, but as a comedian, like women are there to have a good time and enjoy the night, and so often dudes in the crowd are there to be convinced.
0: They're well, they're, they're they're threatened. Um, yeah, yeah, and but like so in New Zealand. Just further to the point, I was saying is, I remember Tom Furness said this to me. who's a very funny. He used to do stand up comedy. He's a director and a writer now. Um, but I think he's still got a clue. If you look him up, Tom Furness on. YouTube, he was like when I started comedy in New Zealand, he was my favorite New Zealand comedian. But he was like, in New Zealand, he was saying how funny he finds it in New Zealand, where you know, comedy is a job where you're getting up there with the express purpose or desire to spread joy or laughter. And um, if you do it, people are like somewhat surprised, perhaps in New Zealand, but also grateful. But in New Zealand, if you do it and you get it wrong, the response isn't like, oh, well, that's a shame it didn't work out. It's like, hey, you know what? Fuck you. I hate you. I hate you for trying and failing to entertain me. It's just this, it's so insane. And I suppose to an extent,
1: you know, we are carrying some of this energy towards the great Rob Schneider. Hey. Very good point and way to pivot back to the subject matter. I think you could be right. Maybe like we are going in into this with all the wrong attitude, and that is um, too much colouring our experience I, of the special. Uh, I don't know that. I uh, I mean, I say that, and it
0: is definitely true. But it's a different sort of disappointment. Like here is a multi-millionaire, internationally formally recognised superstar who is <laughs>
1: formally recognised as such a funny, <laughs> um formally successful comedian, Rob Schneider. Yeah. Who, it's you know, just, know what the funniest version of that is in that adult swim one about boom shakalaka, former father? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Broomshakalaka.
1: Um Oh god. That is so funny. I I
0: can't remember what I was gonna say. Just that, oh it just it's so it's it's frustrating that he's he's bad to the point of being like offensive. He's lazy to put like all of his observations are from when he last did comedy, which is in the '90s, and it's different from seeing you know famous people decide once they're famous they'll that's when they'll try stand up comedy without having had any miles on the clock. Like I believe a stand up comedian, it, the point at which they sort of cross over to becoming capable of selling out arena, no matter what they're saying, whatever the like, if you haven't had, if you haven't got enough miles on the clock as a comedian to that point you're sort of trapped at whatever development level you're at when you become that famous because yeah it's impossible it's so not true. to like it's impossible not to be beloved because everyone's
1: buying tickets to see you
0: not it's the so comedy true. show
1: but to see you and so and even even when you um do like drop-in spots um, at, like, small clubs. Still, the people who are going to comedy shows, if you've kind of reached that level, know who you are anyway. Yeah, but so I... you can't even do it that way. I would argue, yeah. I would argue that's
0: different, though. Like, that is a genuine... People don't bother to do that because that's a genuine litmus test of material. Like, it's the people who want to work do, but famous and lazy people don't because you'll get given 30 free seconds at the top where they go, I recognize this person, this person's famous. And then eventually, like if yep. they're not paying to see you, if they're paying to see a lineup show or a different experience and you drop yeah. in, you're held to the same standard as other comedians. Whereas if it's just your show, everyone's just excited you're in the fucking room.
1: And I, I think what is- I wouldn't say that you get treated to the, same, to the same stand. Like if you're super famous and you go in and bomb um, on a lineup where you're not announced, I still reckon there's so much- love in the room for you for being well known i i it, it, beyond that 30 seconds i reckon i admit that you're still going to do the work at some point in the set but i think like when you get to rob schneider's level of fame if he did a i don't know like even Rob, i saw my heart would sink <laughs> <laughs> what would it be like if you read a comedy show guy and and it was totally unannounced I, and rob schneider just dropped in
0: am i watching or performing
1: Fuck, that's a good question. Uh, well, audience member first, um,
0: I would, I would be, I, I would be titillated. I would be curious, and then, I think maybe I was particularly my own experience for, But then, within however long it takes for him to l- launch into a joke, I would immediately, I imagine, based on the evidence of watching a special twice, I would be very underwhelmed and frustrated as a performer i would be probably fearful that he's listened to some of our
1: podcasts (laughs) Um,
0: my question to you tim is you're producing a comedy show in new zealand and for whatever reason someone reaches out on behalf of rob schneider and says hey tim rob's in town any chance he can jump up and do a quick 10 minutes on your show tonight what do you
1: say Absolutely. 100% yes. Yeah. What, what, why? Because the audience would get a fucking massive kick out of seeing that. I
0: disagree. Who is Rob Schneider's audience?
1: Even So being in New Zealand, if we hear anyone with an American accent on a stage, we've got so much love for it. Can you imagine the fucking star of the hot chick and the animal and deuce bigelow's dude, one and dude, two jumping up and doing do you know, set, like people would lose their minds no do you know how narrow the number of people who know who that is are? like nah you're insane because once he got up they would be like oh that guy from the fucking adam sandler movies they would that's what they exactly rob schneider that's is. what
0: they would say that guy from the fucking adam sandler movies what's he doing here that's
1: all it's he got old that, that's that's all that's needed
0: Oh, i just disagree i think he would be i think it would go badly i would not program him on a lineup
1: firstly i love asking me a question me giving an answer and saying i disagree i do not <laughs> for you great.
0: not for you but for me like my response to that question is different
1: do you not think the audience would love to see rob schneider appear out of nowhere on a new zealand stage It'd be amazing. If I was an audience member and Rob Schneider got up, I'd be like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> How can you say that after watching this? I would, this is completely different. Seeing him in a live context would be like one off, first of all, cannot stress that enough. And also, not an entire show of him. But to see him do a drop in spot would be thrilling and novel.
0: In the same way, watching a, an accident is thrilling and novel.
1: Don't you think that there is a very different bar with which you treat live comedy shows and like a special that you watch on T V.
0: Absolutely. That is one hundred percent true.
1: But like so I think a lot of it's to do with that. Yeah. To be honest.
0: I think some of it for me is like I there's a certain amount of personal responsibility, I assume, if I'm putting together a show, that the audience will be safe and based on the well, evidence put forward by Rob true. Schneider. <laughs> I don't think I could in good conscience program without being like, well, people are going to be fucking white knuckling yeah. it through 80% of the set.
1: Do you know what? That's actually a really good point. And I was more like thinking of the idea of Rob Schneider and in, in spite of the fact that I've literally just watched <laughs> his stand up special twice in two days. And uh, yeah, if I did think about it for 40 more seconds and um and remember the kind of material that would be expected at the show. Yeah, I would have to have a big think about it. Because, like, I, you know, I always feel weird kind of broaching ground like this, um, especially being uh, us, which is a pairing of two straight white cis dudes who do podcasts, which is like a fucking parody of <laughs> of a itself, podcast, basically. <laughs> but, like, essentially, so much content of this show is rape culture. Like laundered for laughs or an attempt at laughs. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, like so many of the premises are: um women are insane and you shouldn't really listen to them, and all men are bad, but you should sort of forgive that fact. And coupled with all of the like the jokes about him grabbing his mother-in-law and bed and stuff, it's just like when you kind of take your step back and look at the whole thing, you're like, this absolutely sticks to high heaven and sucks but then you kind of like the reprieves are the absurdity of the production the fact that it's the little things like i noticed today what he's wearing on stage which is a dark navy sweater and dark gray pants against a black curtain what the fuck are you doing man have one single thought about how this is going to look on camera when you kind of look at it he just looks like a face that a spotlight is hitting and two hands floating in space the fact that he's got a trained classical pianist who appears halfway through the show because all he can muster is getting through 20 minutes before he knows that he needs to borrow from other art forms to emotionally buoy the audience to get through to like the 43 minute mark and then, like, stacking on top of that, the fact that not only does he have this live pianist, I did not realise the first time I watched this that when he gets his daughter, legitimate bona fide pop star Al King, to join him on stage, there is a live fucking band which he does not acknowledge that are playing the song for them. And they are dressed to the nines. They are in tuxedos. We've got violinists, cellists, people who have taken time and energy and money to dedicate themselves to their instrument and the the utility of that as a fucking rob schneider special which contains like maybe three jokes in 44 minutes Uh, it is absurd (laughs) though the the endeavor is
0: absurd your description of the reprieve has wound you up tremendously which is the (laughs) traditional role of a reprieve I want to just quickly. I uh, go back to the pianist, who is Takaru, T- Takaru Saito from Japan. I want when I was watching it and listen like the piano sort of rages on, and at certain points, if you try to listen more to the piano score than Rob Schneider, you can almost enjoy or find solace or meditation inside of the special. What is their creative collaboration like? How did they get put in touch with each other? Has either Rob Schneider listened to this guy play piano before or has Takaru listened to Rob Schneider do comedy <laughs> before? Does Rob Schneider have any creative input into the style of piano that is being played beneath his jokes? Like,
1: what's the deal here? I'd love to know. So well, what are the clues that we have? What do we know about Rob Schneider? We know that he um, is uh, like sort of a practicing Buddhist, like he's, he's very into into the practice of Buddhism. Um, and I think Buddhist meditation. And that kind of leads me to believe that maybe he does listen to some chill piano music. Maybe that's not completely out of the box. So maybe maybe this like, popped up in his travels on Spotify, and he's like, I wonder if I could get that guy. I don't know. The
0: guy, the, the person who you're hiring, I guess everyone, everyone needs a job, but they have to be at a pretty interesting point in their career to... I'm just looking him up on Spotify now.
1: I think... I think this is the thing about musicians, though, in a way, like especially, you know, people who aren't super famous can be super skilled and like even prolific, yeah, um, like almost virtuoso level without being that well known. Especially if I I don't know, I just think that there's probably a lot of phenomenal piano players out there who who just aren't super well known outside of real piano enthusiasts. Yeah. I would. Maybe we should look at doing it, guy. Maybe we should hire some like really great musicians <laughs> to just to score this podcast, us doing a show. Yeah, a show a podcast, whatever.
0: I yeah. Look, I just I I just wonder. Like I just feel like he tagged this young sort of promising but probably not super established pianist and was like, "I'm pretty famous. This is going on Netflix. I give you. What do you reckon? Ten thousand US dollars." He's hemorrhaging money on getting the thing online in the first fucking place.
1: I reckon a little less than that, to be honest. I I think, like, the payment of musicians would be kind of less than we expect, but I reckon probably somewhere between 5 and 10, okay? You'd do it, eh? That's what I reckon. If I could
0: play the piano, I'd do it. Fuck. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Imagine, like...
0: This is the, another thing that blows me away. Is because you, the way you summarised all of it and all these insane constituent parts that don't go together at all, and just sort of paper over the fact that this is not a product. This thing had a fucking director. This special had someone who was not Rob Schneider who was in charge of like creating some sense of cohesion or product. His name is Tyler Spindle and give me dates on this dude well he actually directed a, a comedy film that you've watched this year what any any guesses at what it is it's a netflix released comedy film it's a happy madison production
1: oh the the, the the um uh i've forgotten what it's called uh um tell me the, the lauren lapkiss one yeah with yeah David wrong missy What's it?
0: same, same the wrong di- missy yeah. same director
1: does that make it's any some, sense to it's you? It's interesting. Yeah, kind of. Because, like, I think heading into lockdown, if there's any hope of any work, you're just like, yes, 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 yes. Because you can see what's happening on the horizon. So, like, Rob reaching out to him, it, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> shock me to hear. The The thing with The Wrong Missy, because I, I reviewed that for a, um, a, a publication here in New Zealand, and the movie, like, wasn't great. It was just the fact that Lauren Lapkus is so phenomenal that, that made it anything yeah and it was a pretty great watch but it was purely just because of lauren lapkus well can i read
0: you this self-penned mini biography of tyler spindle from imdb
1: love to hear it i'd love to hear you read it
0: overview height six <laughs> foot two what the fuck is that
1: let us start with height
0: <sighs> after graduating from harvard university Tyler Spindle moved to Los Angeles to pursue his childhood dream of performing stand-up comedy. Touring the country and hosting a weekly show at Hollywood's Laugh Factory nurtured a deeper understanding of comedy as an art form, eventually leading Tyler to a new and overarching passion for directing. (laughs) What? (laughs) Tyler's early foray into the field began with directing viral branded content and commercials for such major companies as Gillette, Macy's, Samsung, Nickelodeon, Del Taco, and Nike, to name a few. From there, he would transition into television, directing episodes of The Jack and Triumph Show, Nick Swartzen's Pretend Time, Breaking In, Sing It, A Night of Too Many Stars, as well as producing and directing sketches for over 350 episodes of Chelsea Lately. Wow. Tyler's film has incl- film career has included directing second unit for six studio Adam Sandler Happy Madison features and writing, producing, and directing the much-acclaimed short film Love and Germaphobia, which won awards from several film festivals. Blah, blah, blah. And then he's got a film on... In the summer of 2017, Tyler co-wrote and directed the Netflix original feature film Graduates, which will premiere this June on Netflix. The film was produced by Happy Madison and stars David Spade and Nat Faxon. Fuck, this is just... This guy just sounds like he's in the Adam Sandler fucking mafia. So it's
1: like he's doing awesome. He's making so much stuff. God bless him. You love him. This is this is the other thing, man. It's like what you said yesterday, which is usually my... um uh, Sort of battle cry on on overlooked and undercooked. You know what? Rob Schneider went and made this, and he fucking they went and found a pianist and a band, and they they put it all together. Dude. They put on a show and they filmed it and they put it online. And like, it's an inescapable uh, thing that is good. That he did,
0: one hundred percent.
1: Like, but oh. I guess that when you when you need to start referring to something's existence, like that's a pretty. Um, that's, that's basement level looking for compliments for a work isn't it. If you
0: click through these profiles long enough, you know, like I've now on his Instagram. This guy's only got a thou- Oh, has it a thousand and sixty nine followers? His Instagram's
1: not great. This isn't Rob. He doesn't know how to use his main properly. This is Tyler Spindle. Yeah, I just went on it. Oh, I see. He's just got like the same s- super similar posts from the wrong Missy over and over again. Which fair play to him. He directed a film which was number one on Netflix briefly. So like. I'd, I'd do that. Yeah.
0: What are we doing? We're watching Rob Schneider's Netflix special Exa- over exactly, and
1: over. Exactly. Exactly. The the fuck are we up to? You know. Admittedly, like you know, right now we're in lockdown, but I don't have a special, and I wasn't in lockdown for the first thirty-two years of my life. So I don't have a special guess, either.
0: Me. Yeah, and fuck me too.
1: I don't like what this um, project is doing to us, guy, because it's like we're shitting on um, the special so much, but then we're kind of putting ourselves lower than it because we don't have a special and um i can't think of anything more self-destructive not
0: not everything is uh you know not not the people who get specials aren't always the best comedians
1: yeah yeah that's um demonstrably true (laughs) hey i didn't even realize the olive garden had a salad bar what
0: are, what are we what are we doing here? Is that one of the jokes in the special? That's usually where one Filipino person in the crowd goes "woo," but not this oh, time. That... that is something that he left in.
1: Yeah, that's fucking crazy, eh? That bit is crazy because, like, often and and this is kind of a um a standard bear of newer comedians when you kick off, it's like. You'll have a joke generally which is designed to provoke outrage, or it could just be recognition. And when that doesn't come, you haven't you haven't written an, an alternative where no one reacts to it. So then you've got to say what the reaction was supposed to be from the audience. But like I'd be tempted to say, as you kind of progress in your comedy career and become a better stand up, you you never, ever, ever write a joke that relies on a specific reaction from the well, audience. Also it's right? not
0: it's not there's no It's not a joke. It's literally.
1: (laughs) Well, it's so true. It's
0: literally just him saying, I'm Filipino. And then ordinarily, I guess, some audience members who are also Filipino cheer. And in this instance, they don't. And he says, normally, someone would cheer there. This time, they didn't. Okay, in the room, I understand that piece of decision making. I get it. You're just like (laughs) processing muscle memory. But you are in an edit suite. You don't need to leave in <laughs> this not funny, worthless observation that usually something different happens that is not funny or worthwhile that has not happened in this instance.
1: Do you reckon anything's on the cutting room floor? Because like, it, it is possible It'll that we keep going on about the runtime of comedy. <laughs> imagine, if, imagine if this special was actually an hour and this is the cut down. I, I mean, who edited it? Did he? I reckon the director. How is his but wife not left They've probably got him. a separate editor. Now, this is probably what we need to talk about. So Patricia or Patricia, because they do say it both ways in the show that she stars in. Um, She's on stage in the special after being just denigrated in two different ways. There's the explicit way, which is Rob Schneider um, making so much fun at her expense, which is kind of like is what it is. But It's a very hacky of,
0: trope of like, you know, male comedians. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the, the most iconic and uh, forever one will be um, Rodney
1: Dangerfield's Take my wife! No, seriously! Take her! I've always, I've never quite cracked it, but I always wanted to write a joke about that. About like, what the fuck was going on with comedians and their marriages in the 80s? Like, what was the deal? Why were they getting hitched? Who were these poor women? Like, what was going on? It was just um, it was this,
0: a, misogyny was uh, more somehow more rampant then than it remains today.
1: There's um, the second way in which Rob Schneider is denigrating his wife so badly in this special is is just because you get access to so many of Rob Schneider's thoughts. So then you go, anyone intimately connected with this person kind of fucking sucks. Like anyone who's really like friends, it is upsetting.
0: But that is like she executive produces both this and Real Rob. And so it's sort of, it's the, you know, it is, it's proximity to to a bad thing is like you are also somewhat culpable for the bad thing.
1: But then there's another layer, which is like, does love triumph all? Is this about like a supportive spouse who who loves Rob Schneider's core, his heart, who he is, and like supports him? Because we kind of think that everyone who's super famous is super talented. And that's obviously not the case, but it's sort of an assumption we make. But sometimes you get afforded the platform and ability to put your work out there and you're just not that good. But for whatever reason, the doors have still been opened for you. And if you're the spouse of that person and you you love them and you want to support them and be there for them, then, like, I don't know, is it your role to, like, red light something like this that they want to do? I don't know.
0: That question and more to be answered in the next episode of <laughs> the Schneider Special Chronicles Overlooked and Undercooked Emergency Season May God help us all. Thank you for listening. Uh, maybe we recommended Rose Matafeo's HBO Max special uh, on the previous episode. Maybe as it, it, a palate cleanse, we could it, we could take the opportunity at the end to uh, recommend a piece of comedy at the conclusion. Oh, wonderful!
1: What do you think? Have you have you got have you got another one? Well, I, if you haven't seen the Wrong Messy, honestly, it's kind of worth watching just because Lauren Lapkus is so good. There's a couple of dicey bits in it, but um. On the whole, it's a fun watch.
0: And if you, if you don't feel like watching The Wrong Missy, uh, and you haven't already, might I recommend watching um, Ronnie Chang's Netflix special. I actually can't remember the title of the special, but that guy's a fucking crusher. It's one of the funniest specials on Netflix right now, in my honest opinion.
1: Hold on, let me get the name of the special. It would be criminal for us to not just take two seconds. Uh, Asian Comedian Destroys America that's the one it's that one right yeah 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 awesome all right guy well i sort of do apologize for how i'm treating you but in some ways i don't at all because you initiated this yeah yeah yeah
0: Um i'm a piece of shit fuck you i'll see you tomorrow yep